This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec, the place to stay updated and educated. Hello and welcome to Tech Guide episode 398. Thanks for joining me once again and welcome any first timers. Thanks for giving us a listen. My name is Stephen Fennec and I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. On this week's show, the Apple software update that will make the COVID Safe app work properly on the iPhone. Apple stores are set to reopen as early as this week as smartphone shipments plummet around the world. And DJI has also launched the new Mavic Air 2 drone. In the Tech Guide reviews, we're going to take a look at the Huawei Mate XS foldable smartphone. We literally road test the Under Armour Hover connected running shoes and we'll also run our eye over the Oppo A91 smartphone. And we'll answer all your tech questions in the Tech Guide help desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, the company that keeps you connected, and Norton, the company that keeps you connected. It's been just over a week now, since the COVID Safe app, the app contact tracing app from the federal government, uh, been just over a week since that was launched, and latest count is that it's about just over four million people have downloaded the app. They're they're saying that they they're after a forty percent install, which if you do the math, there is about sixty six percent of Australians have a smartphone, so roughly about eighteen million people. Uh, will have smartphones. So 40% of that of that figure would need to install the COVID Safe app to reach that target that they've set. But there have been some little issues with the app, especially for iPhone users. And the problem we're getting here is there are some mixed messages from the government about how the app works on the iPhone. Uh, iOS is a very particular operating system that has some pretty strict rules for developers. One of those rules is that Apple does not allow third-party Apple developers, and that in this case the Australian government, to broadcast Bluetooth signals. Now they do this for battery saving for, for that reason, also uh, I think for just to help with privacy and security and my my question, I had a conversation with Apple and, and Apple wouldn't comment whether they had made a special dispensation to the Australian government before it was released. So, so their app was released on April 26. And I asked the question, I said, well, if that's the rule, is that the rule for the Australian government as well? They didn't answer that question, but uh, only a few days later we found that Apple, which of, of course is working with Google to develop not only an API, that's that's an application programming interface, so a bit of code, uh, for public health apps like COVIDSafe, but they're also working on their own version of the app's functionality for their own operating system. So a couple of months down the track, don't be surprised to see your iPhone or Android phone receive an update and you'll see in the settings the ability to turn on or off the COVID safe or COVID-19 contact tracing functionality. But for now, what Apple has provided is this API. This is the software update that I was that I'm referring to here. 
this is beta software. So developers have only just got this in their hands. So this version of the software has that API that will allow the COVID safe app to work in the background. Now, the, the, the two messages we got from the government, depending on who you asked, uh, was that A, it works in the background. You just got to put it in there. Don't close it down. It'll be in the background and it'll work. The other, the other answer we had was that it needs to be the operating in the foreground. So it needs to be running on your phone. So rather than you going back to your home screen and locking your device, it needs to be running on the phone when you lock the screen. So it's, it's the foreground app, we'll call it. So that, that's been the mixed message that we've got, and Apple didn't confirm whether they, these third-party Bluetooth issue was was uh, they if they gave the government a pass. My gut says they didn't, and that this API update that's that's just been released to, to developers a few days ago, we'll see this in the next few days or in a week as an update on iPhone users. Android users are fine, by the way. Android users, they're... Uh, COVID safe app works in the background, works fine. It's iPhone users that I understand are having the issue here and this update will then make it the same level of usage as the Android device. So don't be surprised when you see an iOS update for you iPhone users for a iOS 13.5. And in that, when you see the update and then you go into your health app, you'll see, first of all, a new entry called COVID-19 exposure notifications. You can turn that on or off. And that you can choose whether the COVID safe app using this API on your phone, whether it can send you notifications or not. So that that's uh, another another feature that's going to be added. But it is, it is there has been confusion around the COVID safe app about how it, it actually works. I think we've um, in my mind, anyway, I think we've sort of turned the corner in terms of privacy and security. You know, like the every cyber expert has signed off on the privacy and security of the data and how it can be handled, how the law has has uh, been been changed so that it, the data is protected. Uh, but the, we we have seen other issues where uh, some users have older devices and are unable to run the COVID Safe app on their phone. So there'd be some people running, for example, Android 5 on their five-year-old phone, and that won't work. Or some people may have an iPhone 5S, which is an, uh, iOS 9, or no, iOS 10, 5S and onwards are fine. If you've got an iPhone 5, you're out of luck. So iOS 10 and onwards for for those users, for iPhone users, and Android 6 and later for Android users. And I did receive an email, and it was at a very interesting point where the government was encouraging people to download the app, as many people as possible, yet there is a lot of people, there are a lot of people who have older devices and are unable to. Uh, and, and the suggestion was, well, maybe the government should shout me a new phone. But for, for those, and I did receive another email today asking about the affordable Android devices. Even a, a new Android device that costs $99, I think Alcatel has one at that price. They've also got a 199 and a 299 phone. They will run the app. So if you do, if you are forced to upgrade your phone because you want to run the COVID safe app, you can get away with as little as $99 to, to have a device that's new enough and running the system, the most recent or more recent Android operating system 
to run the COVID Safe app. So there's, it's not going to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars if you do want to make make that change, but uh, there is that option as well. So. The app hopefully will see this update sooner rather than later. Uh, I'm uh, I'm tired of us answering questions about it from uh, from all 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 kinds of people asking various questions, and for the most part we get it. I shouldn't say I'm sick of it because that's kind of my job. I've got to answer these questions, but uh, I'm answering the same question. I should say I, I, I'm answering the same questions. I have published a story, by the way, on Tech Guide for the, for all the questions that I have been asked. So rather than you ask me the questions first, maybe go to that story and your question may be already there. Uh, another issue I heard of was VPNs interfering with the registration of phone numbers. The uh, a lot of a lot of mobile devices have virtual private networks, so they can roam on free Wi-Fi networks and be protected when using free Wi-Fi, which is a, a very good thing to do. And I understand there was an issue with VPNs. If you're running a VPN and you were trying to register your number, you had to turn the VPN off first, and then you would receive your code. There wouldn't be a, a, a an error every time you en- entered your phone number. So what you can do is turn off the VPN, enter that code, and then turn VPN back on again. And then you're running the COVID Safe app. Uh, and just to confirm with everyone else as well, the data is deleted uh, after 21 days, does not leave your phone, stays on your phone, is encrypted on your phone. You couldn't even, if you wanted to, jump into the app and see the people that you've contacted because it's encrypted and not visible to you. So uh, hopefully all those questions, uh, my story is on Tech Guide still about all the questions as well as these recent stories about this Apple release, uh, the, the beta software that's going to finally, hopefully, make the COVID Safe app run as it's supposed to on the iPhone. You can read more about that story at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. Speaking of Apple, and they, Tim Cook was on his earnings call. This is a call he makes to finance journalists about how the company is running, and they often ask him various questions about things. And one question that was asked by Bloomberg was the possible reopening of stores. And he actually named Australia as one country where stores are definitely going to be reopening within one to two weeks. Now, he said this last Thursday, so that one week could be as early as this week, uh, as far as we know. No confirmation just yet, but Apple did release some details about the the procedure of, of what's going to happen when these, these stores finally open. The Apple stores were closed quite early in the piece, but during the coronavirus crisis, uh, and they did name March 27 as the date for them to reopen. I think at the time when the, when the shutdown happened, when they decided to close all the stores, May 27 was still two or three weeks away, and they thought, oh, we should be okay by then. But unfortunately, the March 27, late late March, was the, the height of the of the. Uh, of the COVID virus, so uh, that that plan was was cancelled. Uh, now we're coming into early May, and uh, they've decided to make the move and reopen the twenty one Australian stores. As I said, could be as early as this week. He said one to two weeks, a week, nearly a week ago. So wishful thinking, it may be this week. It may be in a few days, but we don't know that for sure. But one thing we do know, though, is that times uh, and date, uh, the the timing of the 
opening. So the opening times, I should say, will be uh, opening and closing times will be a lot shorter, I think, than what you'd regularly expect from an Apple store. They have Apple has confirmed that the stores will also practice social distancing and health protocols. So there will be a restriction on the number of customers who can be in the store at any one time. Apple stores are normally very busy anyway. So I think you may find that you may have to wait outside in a queue, socially distanced, of course, everyone a couple of metres apart to enter the store. The other question I've got is that Apple stores are very much a place where you get your hands on the products, literally get your hands on the product. So if you you might look at an iPhone or use a MacBook or check out an iMac or look at accessories. So I'm assuming there's going to be some strict cleaning measures in place. There'll be people, staff members, wiping down phones with uh, with alcohol wipes and, and cleaning keyboards and things like that. Uh, what they are going to do too, they also confirm they're going to have temperature checks at the door. So before you walk in, they're going to use the temperature gun and make sure that you don't have an elevated temperature. Uh, they're also, I think what, what people are most looking forward to about an Apple store reopening is the Genius Bar. There's be a few people, I think, sitting on some uh, Apple devices that may not be working properly. They may need a repair, maybe a screen replacement, something that they need to fix up. And I think the Genius Bar is going to be quite busy when they open. Uh, be interesting to see how they handle the rush there. Uh, but it'll be it'll be hopefully sooner rather than later than we see the stores opening. Now, the other big news, and Apple's involved here as well, is that smartphone sales took a bit of a hit uh, during the COVID crisis. It was uh, it was the the because of the the virus came out of China and a lot of the factories are also located in China that really hit some of these companies hard especially Apple, Apple was was one of those companies affected and there has been there have been some figures released about the drop in the shipments so this is the amount of stock leaving that particular country, leaving China to be sent around the world and obviously with it, without factories operating at their normal at their normal output you are going to see some dramatic drops in these shipment numbers. They're what they these have been put together by Omdia. This is a smartphone intelligence service, and they're saying that shipments dropped across the board sixteen point four percent. This is in Q one, so quarter one. Nine out of the ten companies, including Samsung and Apple, all suffered significant declines when compared to the same quarter a year ago. So year on year figures. Samsung has still managed to hang on to its number one ranking. It ships, it still shipped 58.9 million units, by the way, in Q1. But that's that's a drop of 17%. Huawei, which is second on the list, so the number two manufacturer in the world is still Huawei, despite their the the US trade black ban and all the obstacles put in front of them, they are still ranked number two. They've dropped 17.1%, and they still managed to ship 49 million units as well. Apple has hung on to its third position uh, in the global smartphone manufacturers list. They've had a, a smaller shipment drop. I thought I thought Apple would have a would have had a bigger drop than Samsung. Uh, they've dropped their shipments by 12%. Now Samsung were uh, the that they were they seemingly were unscathed early on during this crisis because they'd managed to uh, release their Galaxy S20 devices before 
the cancellation of Mobile World Congress and before the major lockdowns, they had their launch and their product was in market with plenty of stock in the channel. And I thought that they would have had a, a, a smaller drop than what they did because their factories too are located in Vietnam and in Korea. So in terms of production, they were virtually untouched during this crisis. Now, the other, the other factors to consider here uh, is the fact that in, the, in lockdown, a lot of stores, the distribution channels have all been v- really badly disrupted. So stock can't really get to where it needs to be in a timely manner as it normally would. Uh, and, and we were talking about the Apple stores reopening as well. That also was a major hit to Apple because people were forced only to buy online and, and if they did need, need a new phone. So rather than uh, the, the foot traffic going into a store to sell products, and that's a major part of Apple sales are in-store, uh, they, people were, had to resort to buying online. There was no option of a store pickup. So that's another that's another bonus for customers who want to order a new iPhone, for example, and organise a time to go pick it up in the store rather than have to uh, to to buy it uh, on the spot. They can have it ordered and be have it waiting for them when they go into the store. Um, the the smartphone shipment story uh, also had some other interesting results. Of the top ten companies, the worst shipment declines were in this order. LG with a 37.4% drop, Motorola with a 35.4% drop, Vivo with a 19.9% drop, and Oppo with a 19.2% drop. Now, interestingly, Motorola, despite the release and all the buzz around the Razer smartphone, it wasn't enough to offset this massive shipment drop. You'd think that with a phone like that that people had had ordered uh, weeks and months ahead, they may have had a, a smaller drop there, but they, the, that device, the launch of that device was also affected by the factory shutdowns. The launch here in Australia was due for February 24. It didn't make it out um, um, to customers until a month later. Uh, even longer than that, I think it was early April before we saw the uh, the device. I never saw the device. They never sent any review units out. I think the reason for that was that it was uh, had some scathing reviews in the US. I don't think they wanted a repeat of that here in Australia. But all the all the hype and the buzz around this product, I thought that this may have may have uh, reduced that significant shipment drop, but not to be. They they dropped a th- they dropped thirty five point four percent of shipments. So pretty solid. The other factor too, of course, to consider is that the fact that mobile World Congress, the big mobile phone trade show that I was supposed to attend back in February, it was called off as well. This is the place where a lot of these companies, it's their launch pad for their new products. So that that caused a delay as well. So the real knock-on effect that we're seeing here from the virus, the Chinese factories shutting down, uh, stores closing down, lockdowns, Mobile World Congress and these these uh, the cancellation of the show and launches delayed, it's had a massive knock-on effect, and we're seeing products that were due to be released months ago still not uh, on the market as yet. Hopefully, in the second half of the year, we'll see some better results for the market. You want to read more about the Apple Store opening and also the shipment drops of smartphones? You can check that out at techguide.com.au. DJI has just launched a new drone. I love my drones. And this new device, it's the Mavic Air 2. 
Funny, funny one with this one, DJ. I'm on DJI's mailing list, so I get there, I get emails from them about specials and things. And I, I did get an email about the announcement of this product. It's it had like a countdown happening. It's, it's. Uh, I think it was the date was August 28 when it was launched, when it was announced, so a week of uh, last Tuesday. And it, I was waiting, and I'm thinking what, and then. I did a little. I did a little search, thinking I wonder if there's any details already about it. And lo and behold, all the details had leaked the day before the launch. The Mavic Air Two is the drone in question, and a DJ was set for this huge on-air, on air, uh, on online announcement and product reveal. And 24 hours earlier, every detail about the Mavic Air Two had leaked, so really stole their thunder. But Still, though, very impressive new product. You can't take that away from them. This is another foldable drone. It has an updated design. The Mavic Air, the original Mavic Air, it's sort of more of a curved, a different look and design to this one. The Mavic Air 2 looks more like the original Mavic, which has the foldable arms, the, the, the foldable props, and folds down to quite a small size. So they're saying it's as, it's about the size. I've already got it to review. It's about the size of a water bottle when you fold it down. Remarkable, but still has these this incredible camera that has a half inch image sensor, which can capture forty eight megapixel stills, as well as four K video at up to sixty frames per second. Remarkable. It also uh, it can capture in the 4K videos in H.265. That's the HEVC codec. What that means is that it can get you can have more information on the file, but it uses less storage space. So the compression is really good. You can fit more on your memory card. Also included is HDR, high dynamic range, which improves color and contrast in your pictures, in your videos, and your panorama shots as well. And of course. The drone's camera has this incredible three-axis gimbal that keeps your footage still and stable, even in windy conditions and you're flying around. It really keeps your videos silky smooth. There are some also uh, some new flight modes as well, so program flight modes. You can do orbits and things like that. And in the on the photography side are some other new features, one called Hyperlight, which is a low-light photography technology, similar to what's in the latest smartphones right now, which takes advantage of these low-light situations and manages to suck all the light out of the... Uh, to inject some more light into the picture and give you a remarkable result. It is against the law to fly your drone at night, so uh, this may might be a good good sunset feature. So uh, interested to see how that turns out. It's also got scene recognition. It can it can recognize things like sunsets and blue sky, grass, snow, and trees. So it can optimize the image again, very similar to the smartphone camera technology there as well. Uh, and also, of course, there are all the amazing safety features on board here. So if you've never flown a drone before. This, the new Mavic Air 2 has obstacle avoidance. It has sensors front and back and on the bottom so that if you're a first time and you're about to fly into a tree, it's going to say, well, hang on a minute, it'll pull up. If you're going to fly into the side of a building, it is smart enough to pull up and navigate around that obstacle. That's the advanced pilot assistance system. Uh, so that, that's 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 heartening for people who've never flown a drone before. So it, it is a lot of the process is automated, like the takeoff and landing is automated. Very easy to get it up in the air and fly it around. 
the the drone itself weighs just 570 grams. That's how light it is, and it is it is quite small and compact, so easier to take with you anywhere. It it also the sensors and the lighting on the base. That's what helps with the automated takeoffs and landings as well. There is also a geofencing feature to prevent you from flying into high risk areas. I live not far from the airport here in Sydney, and I'm within that five kilometer radius. So even if I try to fly a, um, a DJI drone here, it'll get about a foot off the ground and then land again to say that I'm in a no fly zone. That's how smart they've become. Uh, on the battery side, there's also improved technology on the uh, for the battery life to give you up to 34 minutes flight time per battery. That's pretty good. That's uh, up from what it was earlier, like in the like 25 or 28 minutes flight time. It's always good when you can fly the, the drone longer. And would you believe the drone has, and this is illegal, of course, the drone has a 10-kilometer range. So you could fly it away from you ten kilometres. You won't get it back with that with that in that time. I don't think with the battery, but yeah, that's a long way. Ten kilometres, and you can still control it. But that's against the law here in Australia because you do need line of sight. So you do need to be able to see your drone, know the orientation of your drone at all times. So forget flying at ten kilometres, even though you can. It's like, you know, my car can do 260 kilometres as, as its top speed, but how many times have, have I done it? Never. And not many people will because, you know what, it's against the law. The uh, DJI Fly app has also been updated so that when you pair this to the to the drone when you're about to fly, there's all new, t- new tutorials to help beginners uh, get into the air sooner as well. The app, you can also use the app for editing and sharing your footage, which is a new feature too. Really cool. The DJI Mavic Air 2 is going to be uh, released on May 15. Pre-orders have already started. Now, how much does it cost? It's $1,499 for your base model. So that's one battery, one controller, and all the cables. But what I'd suggest is to get the Fly More combo. The Fly More combo is $1,899. So it's an extra $400, but you get a shoulder bag, an ND filter, a charging hub, and two extra batteries. So in total, you've got three batteries. So that's an hour and a half of flying time. If you do go uh, the flying more combo, that to me represents a lot more value. I've never bought a drone, uh, a DJI drone. I've always, I always get the fly more combo because you do get a lot more bang for your buck. The DJI Mavic Air 2, story for you to see, pictures of the drone. It's a, it's a nice little thing. Check it out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Norton. They're the company that can keep you and your family safe online. In a world where we're constantly connected, there are phishing attacks and uh, phishing scams, ransomware, online predators, you name it, big data tracking all of us. These the cyber threats have really evolved and but the good news is that Norton has evolved with them. Norton stays ahead of the curve and the new Norton 360 gives you next level protection. It combines the power of device security with a secure VPN, virtual private network, to help keep you and your family safe and private online. The new Norton 360 is all-in-one protection for your devices and your online privacy. It's available now at leading retailers or au.norton.com. Come on. 
And now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennec. Kicking off the reviews, it's a big one. This is the Huawei Mate XS. Now, cast your mind back to February 2019, and that was when we caught the first glimpse of the Huawei Mate X. This was the product that was launched a week, not even a week, I think four days after the Samsung Galaxy Fold. Samsung had an event in San Francisco. I was there. Flew straight from San Francisco to Barcelona, where Huawei then launched the Huawei Mate X, its version of the folding phone. And boy, I think Huawei stole the show. They stole the show in Mobile World Congress 2019 with the Mate X. Now, fast forward 12 months, the Mate X never hit the market in Australia. I, I don't even think it was released in China. It may have been released just in China at the end of last year, but uh, it didn't go anywhere else around the world. Now, since since uh, the cancellation of Mobile World Congress, where, where Huawei was due to unveil its follow-up, which is this product, the Mate XS, the device itself has not changed very much. It's been refined slightly. I think the hinge has been improved, a couple little uh, other little cosmetic changes, but nothing major. If you put them side by side, you probably couldn't tell the difference. Now, the basic principle here is it's a two-in-one. It's a phone one second, and then you unfold it, and then suddenly you're looking at a tablet. And the way Huawei has approached this is a lot different to the Samsung approach. What Samsung did with the Galaxy Fold was similar concept, two in one. So it's a phone one second and then it opened it up to become a tablet. The Fold has had a small screen on the front. I think it was 4.6 inch screen. And then you open it up like a book and then you were looking at a a 7.3 inch screen on the inside. So the two screens were separate. Now with the Huawei Mate XS, the screen, it, there is a fold out as well. So when you're first holding the phone in your hand, you've got a 6.6-inch screen that you face, that faces the front. And then you unfold the screen. So rather than opening it like a book, it's like imagine the book that's turned uh, open on its pages and you open the book backwards and open up the, the, so you can see the front and back cover of the book straight away. That's how the Huawei Mate XS. There's pictures on Tech Guide. I've even done a video. Check out my YouTube channel, the Tech Guide YouTube channel. I've done a video as well, so you can see it, uh, as well as read about it. So it the, the screen basically forms the outside of the phone. So what what the part that folds that you that you touch with your hand is the display. So the display becomes the front, becomes the side, and becomes the back of the phone. So totally different approach. Uh, there's no notch. That's one thing I hated about the Galaxy Fold was that that annoying notch in the top right-hand corner. No such problem here. The There is no notch. It's a square screen. It is really impressive display, very nice quality. Like It's great for viewing content. And ironically, they released this at a time when a device that's perfect for commuters and travelers, and they released it at a time when there's no one commuting and no one traveling. Well, that's just a, a quirk of their release schedule, but uh, it is ideal for consuming content on the go. Also great for multitasking as well. You can run up to three apps at the same time. So if you want to have, you want to maybe divide the screen into two, you want to have maybe your social media feed or your emails running at the same time. You can have another, a third one. You might have an email. You 
you might have a calculator, might need to make some calculations or something. So you can be productive with this as well. What I liked about it was the looking at emails when the screen was open, the 8-inch screen was open. Emails were great. You could see the emails down the side, the active email that you're working on. And when you use the keyboard, the keyboard spread across the whole width of the screen. So it was big enough to rest the device on a on a surface on a on a desk and use two hands to type like like you're on a laptop that that was pretty cool if you needed to get some uh, some work done to write write a long document or a long email it was really easy just to burn through it by using that larger keyboard the device look it it, it has its issues as well the the screen itself is actually quite fragile i think because you can't really put a protective case on it because it's got a fold and close, open and close, and there is a little protective, like an edge case you can put that, that protects the edges of the screen, but and that 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 still stays in place when you're opening and closing the device. But the screen itself, which Huawei says is very durable, it's made out of like this really it's aerospace polymer material, and there are several layers to add to that protection. But it's still not a glass screen, and even glass, you've got to be very protective of that. So I noticed after after only a week of use, I was seeing these little scratches around the hinge area and on the front and back of the phone, and that was only after a week. Imagine after months and months, I really didn't know how that how it was going to fare uh, with the day to day wear and tear of that a mobile phone normally goes through. In fact, I'll let you know now, I had the initial unit that Huawei sent me, the first Mate XS they sent me it actually developed an issue. It developed this line. It looked like a line of dead pixels that ran along the whole width of the screen, front and back. And they told me, look, restart it, reset it, try to do things. Would not go away. So they said, okay, no problem. We'll, we'll, send, you a, we'll send you a replacement unit. And they, they did that. The replacement unit, which I've been using for over a week now, nearly nearly two weeks actually, has uh, is, is not missed a beat. It is done really well. Still those odd worrying little marks and scratches on the screen, but only you can only see them when the screen is not on. When the screen's on, you can't see a thing. You, all you see is your content. Speaking of which, the content is it is a perfect content consumption device. Really good to look at your... I like looking at my old photos on it because it was the size of that 8-inch screen. You could, you could pinch and zoom and get a really good look at your photos and your videos and everything that you got there. Um, of course, viewing viewing your content is great. Uh, the other challenges, though, there is you know while while it's a beautifully engineered product and it's a great viewing experience and great way to to consume your content, there are some challenges, uh, namely the fact that you don't get there's no Google Play Store, Google services, Google apps, nothing. You don't get that on the phone, and Huawei's solution to that is to use their their app the phone clone app which if you say you're your uh, what I did I transferred all my stuff from a Samsung phone from the Galaxy S20 Ultra actually so I, I just copied all that information using phone clone so I installed phone clone on the old device so the Samsung device phone clone was already on the new device and I, I said this is the old device this is the new device they talk to each other and I reckon 90 percent of the apps on my Samsung phone came across because there's no Google Play Store. They do have an app gallery, but that's got a very limited number of those those apps, smart home apps, all the apps that I use, they, they're not in the app gallery. But 
they did copy across with phone clone, which was great. Most of the apps, including the Tesla app, a lot of the smart home apps I use, uh, Apple Music even transferred across, and they worked okay for the most part. The Tesla app was was 90% functional. Apple Music didn't work at all. I tried to play a playlist and it would just skip through every track. It wouldn't, wouldn't stay on one track. It would just keep going to the next track. Anyway, I don't know why that happened, but for the most part, the apps worked okay. Now, for the apps you can't get, like... YouTube, there is a there is a way around that. There is a workaround where you can navigate to the browser site of YouTube, and what the phone allows you to do is to create a desktop shortcut. So you can create an app shortcut where you save the app as a destination. So rather than you having to get into the browser and type in youtube.com and go to the site, you simply press the app that you saved on your home screen and that'll take you directly to the site. Now, it is the browser view, but it's still the view. You are still able to to enjoy that. The other issue is some social media apps, like namely Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all had to be installed through a browser. So there's a bit of work involved here. If you've got the money for a start, okay, I'll tell you the price in a minute. If you've got the money and you've got the patience to to get through and get everything you need, I got I got 95% of what I needed on the phone. Uh, the the social media apps I could I found I could download them from websites, so they you download the APK which is the little the the file for, to install the app on the phone and it worked and then I signed in like I normally did everything worked as it normally should but it took a bit of work to get it to that condition so that there that's some of the challenges I'm talking about the other challenge is the price it's three thousand nine hundred and ninety nine dollars so not cheap it is uh, it is a fair chunk of change there uh, but the people, if you've got that kind of money, are you willing to spend it on a product that has no Google Android support moving forward? Uh, that may change in the future, but we don't know. Has uh, the you can't install any app that you want. The app, the their app gallery still has up to 500 million users, so it's a decent size app store, but it's no Google Play Store and it's no App Store either. So, just something else to keep in mind as well. The camera, there is a three-lens camera system on board, a Leica camera system, 40 megapixel, uh, 16 megapixel and 8 megapixel, so triple system. Photos are fantastic. Check them out on my video and also on my my, uh, YouTube, uh, my video and and on Tech Guide as well. The, The device... Battery is actually quite impressive as well. It's 4,500 milliamp hour capacity and not a, not a trouble getting through two full work days with it. That's a good thing about having a larger device. It does have a large battery. And when I say larger device, even folded, this wasn't too much thicker than a regular smartphone. So don't think you're just going to be carrying a brick around in your pocket. It is actually quite quite compact uh, when you consider you've got two screens there, your screen that folds out. And even in the folded out position, it's only 5.4 millimetres thick. So do the math. It's probably about, I think, 11 millimetres thick when you when it's folded down. So not too bad at all. The design there is really smart and it's not too bulky for you to carry around. Uh, the, other, the other issue, of course, we spoke about is the price. 3999 bucks is a lot of money. The timing of the release in a, in a time when people are out of work and in the casuals are, are applying for, for JobKeeper and uh, all this, this stuff going on, businesses closing down, stores are closed. Not the ideal scenario to be charging $4,000 for a phone, but I think 
look, it was planned probably well in advance and it just happened to fall at this particular time. But all in all, though, a very impressive product. It, it is a really, uh, it amazed everyone when I showed them uh, in person this folding screen. They were t- totally amazed. It was like performing a magic trick, opening up this screen every time. And, uh, and, and, and the device itself is, is amazing. The great engineering really works well as a phone, works well as a tablet. So it ticks the boxes in terms of what it wanted to achieve there to give you a two-in-one device. And it did just that. If you want to check out our review, you can see the video on YouTube, which is also embedded in our review at techguide.com.au. Well, it's not every day you put on a pair of running shoes and they, and then connect them to your smartphone. And that's exactly what I did with the Under Armour Hover shoes. That's Hover spelt with H-O-V-R, drop the E. And these are, and the, the Hover is the range of shoes. There's half a dozen shoes that have a Bluetooth module in the right shoe. So it's got a sensor and a module that connects to your phone through the app and it can, like a wearable, like a smartwatch, can give you all the details you need. So the sensor's in the right shoe and what to pair it, you need to move or tap your right foot and to wake up the sensor and that then the, then the app detects it, then you're connected, ready to go, download the app, hit start and the shoe tracks everything just like you would a wearable. But you, you got to remember, this is on your feet. So the accuracy of some of the stats it can compile are really impressive. Uh, there are a couple that stood out for me. One was a the foot strike angle. So it can tell what angle your foot hits the ground. And it also reads things like ground contact time. So it knows exactly how many milliseconds your feet are on the ground as you're running. So that level of detail is pretty impressive, not what you'd normally expect. It also, of course, includes distance, pace, cadence, stride. It gives you stride length as well. So the the if you're a serious runner and you want to get that type of information, it, it, is, it is very accurate because the sensors are on your feet and that's what's doing the running or the walking or whatever exercise you want to be, you want to be doing. Now, the other part here is that the companion app, by the way, is really good. And it also provides it provides a nice map of your run as well. So it maps it quite accurately, how, how where you went. It also lets you link your Apple Music account. I think that was the only music account. I, let you, I tried to link a Spotify account. It wouldn't let me. Apple Music was the only option there. But what, what it also provides, the app also provides real-time coaching. So if you're running along, you've got your earphones in, you've got your shoes on, phone phone as well, you can be, this this will talk to you, even even giving you updates. It tells you updates every kilometre about what, what your pace you're using and your stride length and all that. And uh, you can look at that too on your Apple Watch. There's a companion app so you can look just down at your wrist and see all the information as well. But if, it, if there is a coaching function as well where you can set a goal in terms of distance or time or whatever you want to achieve in your session, this will coach you to say, right, you're on track 
or you, you might need to pick up the pace here or it, it guides you through this little session, which is really impressive. If you're training, if you're a runner, you might be training for a race or a marathon or something. These uh, these shoes, and while the shoes themselves, by the way, are really comfortable, really nice, very light, uh, there's six different kinds of shoes, by the way. So depending on what type of running you want to do, depending on how you run, like you might overpronate or something like that, you might have a style. Uh, there are different shoes to suit different runners uh, or different people. So it it'll you know things like uh, there's if you if you're more of a, a shorter faster runner. Uh, I mean the length of your run, not you yourself. If you prefer shorter runs. There's a shoe for that. If you're a distance runner, there's shoes for that. If you're overpronated, there's a shoe for that as well. Uh, durable shoes, you name it. Of the six, there's one that'll suit you. They range in price from $180 all the way up to $220. So same price you'd expect to pay for a top-shelf pair of running shoes. And that's what these are. Very comfortable, very bright. The, the Hover Sonics were the ones I use. They're, the, they're my feet in the photo, by the way, on uh, on Tech Guide. The Hover Sonic 3, they're 180 bucks. Really nice, bright blue, orange soles, white white uh, sole, orange and white soles. Really stood out, really looked nice. But were giving me all that information as well. Fascinating. If you want to check that out, the UA, that's short for Under Armour, Hover Sonic Shoes. It'll be the only notification you'll ever get to say your shoes are connected. If you want to get into that, check it out. If you're a runner, this will be of, of great interest as well. You can check this out at techguide.com.au. Uh, boy, what a difference. We, we are reviewing another phone, but it's nowhere near as expensive as the Huawei Mate XS, that, which is nearly 4000 bucks. Instead, we're talking about the Oppo A91. Uh, this is $499. And here's a phone that is a step above entry level, but still way cheaper than a flagship device. 499 is is probably lower mid-tier, mid-tier. Uh, and reason it is slightly more expensive than, say, the Alcatel 3X, which I reviewed a few weeks ago, $299 phone, great feature set. The reason this is maybe a little bit more expensive is, number one, it's got a better quality screen. It's got an AMOLED display instead of an LED display. It also has an in-screen fingerprint reader, which, again, is very impressive for a $499 phone. This is a feature introduced on phones that were like $1,500 and, and more. So good good that you've got AMOLED display, which is higher quality than LED. You've also got an in-screen fingerprint reader as well. It's also really thin as well. It's only 7.9 millimeters, really light, so feels good in the hand, and has a 6.4-inch screen, that AMOLED display. So And you get 90, I think it's more than 90% screen to body ratio. So you're getting nearly full, full screen there without a home button. Has a little teardrop uh, notch at the top, which is not, not really intrusive at all. It's uh, it, 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 that, that front, That's for the front camera as well. So pretty impressive. The, the display's got a resolution of 2,400 by 1080, and it's got 480 PPI, which is pixels per inch, so really sharp screen for a phone of this price, really punching above its weight. Oppo phones run Color OS. This is an operating system that looks very similar to iOS. 
So if you're an iPhone user making the switch, you're going to feel a lot of familiarity here. The uh, Especially the camera looks exactly like it does on the iPhone and the settings list in the settings and stuff like that. A lot of similarities. So I think it's probably the, uh, I'm not going to call it the poor man's iPhone, but it, it is very iPhone-esque in, the, in, its, in its settings and some of its features and apps and how it's laid out. Uh, but still an impressive phone. I think, you know, that's the, what do they say? Flattery is the uh, ultimate compliment. The, um, oh, sorry, no, imitation is the sheerest, is the most sincere form of flattery, I think is the correct term. Get my terms right there. But all in all, a really interesting device. And uh, for those who are interested, still has a headphone jack as well. So if you like a cable on your headphones, then you're going to love the Oppo A91. On the performance side, 8 gig of RAM, uh, powered by the MTK big long letters and numbers processor, which means nothing, but just just take my word for it. It is fast enough. It is you're not hanging around for apps to open. I even managed to fit in a Star Wars quote on my on my review. I'm not going to tell you what it is, uh, especially after talking about the processor. Head the tech guy. There is a Star Wars quote that I've managed to fit into this review after I talk about the processor. Uh, it is. Uh, it also has face unlock, which uh, is on top of the in-screen fingerprint reader. So security-wise, you're uh, pretty well set off there. And they're both really fast. It's instant opening. Like I've seen some face IDs that take a few seconds, but this is instant on, instantly open when it sees your face. Same with the in-screen fingerprint reader. Really well. It's, uh, it, it, is, it is pretty impressive. The camera system as well. There is four of them, four lenses. 48 megapixel, 8 megapixel, and two 2 megapixel lenses. It uses a technology called four-in-one pixel combination, so sharper images and impressive results in low light. The ultra-wide lens is has a 119-degree field of view as well, by the way. The selfie camera, also pretty handy. It does have a... It's got an even better beautification mode. So, you know, who's going to knock that back? It'll, it'll make you, it's got features like smoothing out your skin, um, making your face thinner, removing blemishes. So if you want to really nail the selfie game, the Oppo A91 can really help you do it. The camera takes fantastic photos. As usual, I took photos of my, my beautiful Dalmatians, Ziggy and Logan, and the pictures of those were pin sharp. I also took a selfie with the beautification mode on, although I jokingly said that it didn't really have a lot of work to do. I'm not, I'm not, uh, it didn't need to do too much to me. It did, I've got much smoother skin though. You can tell that this, my skin's a little bit smoother, but I'll let you judge that for yourself. Another cool feature of the camera, it's got a macro mode. So you can take really tight up up close photos of objects and things and flowers and bugs and stuff like that. Very interesting. The Oppo A91 is available in two colours, lightning black and blazing blue. Love the names they come up with these phones. 499 bucks from JB Hi-Fi, Officeworks, Amazon, Mobile City and Woolworths Mobile. If you want to read our complete review, check it out, techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Netgear. They're Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. Is your Wi-Fi feeling old? Does a buffer while streaming? Does connecting new devices slow it down? What about How about handling gaming and video calls or large file transfers? And what happens when you're doing all that at once? It doesn't matter how fast your connection is if your Wi-Fi router is old and outdated. 
With the Nighthawk Wi-Fi 6 from Netgear, your Wi-Fi will feel new again. Wi-Fi 6 is the latest technology that allows more devices to connect and stream simultaneously without impacting speed or reliability. You can stream in HD, 4K, even in 8K without buffering. You can eliminate lag while gaming and connect more devices to your Wi-Fi than ever before. Orbi Wi-Fi 6 is like upgrading your Wi-Fi to first class. If you're ready for Netgear's best Wi-Fi ever, you can get it today from Netgear and never worry about Wi-Fi again. Check out Nighthawk Wi-Fi 6 at netgear.com.com.au forward slash Wi-Fi 6. That's netgear.com slash Wi-Fi and the number 6. And now, answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. The Tech Guide Help Desk brought to you by our mates at Belkin. Belkin, if you need a cable, a charger, a speaker, you name it, a, a portable battery for your phone, Belkin is the place to go, belkin.com forward slash au. Now, I've got a really interesting question from uh, a reader, an older reader who had a whole bunch of cassette tapes. And I think what they did, she said she used to, uh, do, they were her travel tapes. So she'd talk about where she went and what she experienced into these tapes and obviously collected a few over the years. Her question was, how do I get the, how do I transfer those tapes to text? So she was asking about like a dictation software, uh, how it can be done, like to manually transcribe all those tapes would take forever. Uh, there are some applications you can buy. Um, the one that I used to love was the was Dragon Dictation. I used to use it religiously, and until they stopped supporting it on the on the Mac, when I upgraded to Catalina, it basically just crippled that that app. Just kept crashing. The whole application just wouldn't work. So that was that. That was it for me. But my answer to this question was the fact that Word. The latest version of Word has a dictation option. So if you've got the if you're running the latest version of Word, you might have Microsoft 365, there is a dictation function. And I've used this. I've done interviews and press play on the interview, hit the hit start of the dictation on a Word document, and it was about 90% accurate. It, it, it just transcribed everything that it heard. So in this instance, I'd suggest the cheapest option would be to get Microsoft Word, open up your files, hit dictation, hit play on the tapes, and Bob's your uncle, you've got your transcribed tapes, which are, as I said, about 90, 92% accurate. So you may need to go back and correct a few words, but or overall, a real time saver and also money saver too. You don't have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on these sophisticated voice recognition and text uh, speech-to-text programs. So, it's all done in Microsoft Word. And that's the end of our show for this week. Boy, that went fast. Everything we've talked about on the show, you can find, of course, at techguide.com.au. And if you want to get in touch, please email us, info at techguide.com.au. We want to give a special shout-out to our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also Norton, the company that can keep you and your family safe online. Please support the sponsors who support us. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected.